Well, this morning we begin our series on the book of Daniel. Daniel's a great book. I don't know when the last time is you read it. The first six chapters of Daniel are, uh, it's narrative, fantastic stories. The second six chapters of Daniel are prophecy stuff. I'm convinced, though, that Daniel was a book that was made for Hollywood. You know, Steven Spielberg would love the book of Daniel. I mean, you've got paranormal stuff going on. You've got special dreams and visions, and no one can understand them. And then you've got somebody who's got special supernatural abilities. You've got a hand kind of just writing on a wall, a cryptic message. Nobody understands. You've got demonic stuff going on, animals eating people. There's lots of really wild stuff going on in the book of Daniel. I'm sure Spielberg would love it. I could just see some uh, miniseries on that. Uh, crazy ironic thing is, though, that the book of Daniel is also one of the most loved books in elementary Sunday school as well. Uh, probably more flannel graphs have been cut out regarding the book of Daniel, if you think back to your Sunday school era, than anything else other than maybe the, the birth of Jesus. You know, you've got the dare to be a Daniel. We've got all kinds of Daniel stuff in little kids' format. Uh, the issue is, though, th- I mean, though Daniel is applicable, obviously, for children, we should teach it to children, it was initially written not to children, but to adults. Adults who were going through a real wild time. Uh, though Hollywood would probably uh, love Daniel, its purpose is not entertainment. Though Spielberg might be captivated with Daniel, the issue for him is this is uh, not fiction, this is historical And we need to stop and ask ourselves, what we're going to do through this series is, what is the purpose of Daniel? Why did God include that in here? Why why do we need it? Why why not just 65 books? Why why do we have to have Daniel? What purpose is there? What message does it say that we need? And I'll go on the front end to say, I don't think there's too many other more Americanized books in the Bible than Daniel. Uh, Certainly in the Old Testament, I don't believe there's any other book that hits as close to home for us as the book of, of Daniel. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Daniel? If not, you can be bringing them. That would be great. We're going to be uh, staying in the book for the most part. If we jump around, I'll put that on the screen. I'll probably have Daniel on the screen for you too, just in case you're whatever, you're lazy or whatever. That's all right. Uh, Daniel chapter 1. Let's get right in. It says, In the third year, this is verse 1 of Daniel 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. These these first several verses, first seven verses, basically, are just to let us know the background. Why these Jewish guys are hanging out in Babylon? Why they, how they got there? Let me give you a little uh, backup, a little history just so we can get to this place. You can kind of get the whole big picture here. About 2100 B.C., God comes and knocks on Abram's door. He's, he's not living far from here, actually, but he knocks on his door, 2100 B.C., and says, I want to get you away from here, and I want you to get into a special uh, other place. There's a special land I have for you, and it's not the Babylon area. Well, well goes to the... We call the promised land, holy land, and uh, raises his family a little bit. Then in about 1850 B.C., Joseph and um, 70 
his, I mean, his brothers, so there's about 70 Israelites, that's all at this point. They move down to Egypt. They don't initially go down there to be slaves. That's what they're going to end up being when they're down there. But they go down to Egypt. About 1445 B.C., Moses gets them out of Egypt. You know, the ten plagues and, uh, and all that. It gets them out of, of Egypt. Uh, they then wander around in the Sinai Peninsula over a little bit for 40 years. So they're there from 1445 to 1400, basically. The next uh, multiple years you have are the time of the judges. This is the, when Samson was around and when Ruth was around. Y- yes, from 1380. Then what you're going to run into is you're going to get close to the, the golden era of um, uh, Israel. This is Saul and David and Solomon. This, these three guys, what they did is they took their, their new country, their new empire, Israel, and these three kings ran it, and it couldn't be better. It was just flying at this point. Let me stop for just a second and back up, just so you get this. Right when Moses gets these guys out of Israel, right? They just they are out of Egypt. They just got out of Egypt. The, the nation was just born. They still have the ambiotic fluid kind of drip them off of them. You know, they're just, they're just born. The nation is just born, just out of Egypt. Moses stops them. Not far from Egypt. And he says, now listen. And he got this in Deuteronomy 4 and Leviticus 11. He stops them and says, listen, guys. God got you out of slavery. But if... You don't listen to him. I mean, he, he's going to get you back into slavery. I mean, how many times do you tell this to your kids? Children, I don't want to punish you. I'm just telling you on the front end, I don't want to do this. But if you do this, I'm going to have to. So listen, it's all your control. I don't want to do this. But if you make me do it, I will. That's what God's telling Israel. I don't want you to go back to slavery. You don't, I'm sure. Just obey me. Now, this, is, this, is, this is the plan. But they're immorality and uh, idolatry and apostasy just they just continue they just continue and continue 933 BC Solomon just dies and the nation has a big civil war and you got a north Israel and a south Israel and the apostasy and the idolatry and the, the immorality continues and continues. In 722, the big kid on the block, Assyria, comes through and they wipe out the northern kingdom. They take all the people captive in, in exile. And you would think that the guys in the south, that's where the capital is, Jerusalem, that's where the temple is, you think that they would wise up and say, God's not fooling, he will take you into slavery if you goof around. We're going to do it right. But they didn't think that. Matter of fact, they started thinking... We've got the temple here. We've got the Ark of the Covenant is here. God's not going to let anything happen to that. It doesn't matter if we mess up or not. So that's what Jeremiah says. Don't be saying the temple, the temple, the temple. Because that's what they were saying. Well, then 605, Nebuchadnezzar. He'd already just beat up Assyria. Now Babylon's the new kid on the block, the strong arm. They just had a war in that area. So Nebuchadnezzar comes down, stops up at Jerusalem and says, listen guys, we can make this, we can do this the easy way or the hard way, it's up to you. And, and Jehoiakim says, well, let's do this the easy way. So he just opens the door. He gives Nebuchadnezzar lots of money. He gives them lots of exiles. Nebuchadnezzar says, we want the finest you've got. So they give him Daniel and they give him Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. 605, all those guys go all the way to Babylon. But then King Nebuchadnezzar put his puppet king on. It's Jehoiakim's kid, Jehoiachin. And so he's reigning now. And just before Nebuchadnezzar leaves, he says, now this is what you need to do. You need to be paying me some insurance money on a regular basis, and I'll make sure you're safe. Well, Jehoiachin, after he leaves, he gets far away. Jehoiachin says, nah, I don't think so. 
So Nebuchadnezzar back in Babylon is going, let's go, gets his army together, goes back around, comes down and and says, okay, listen, what are you going to do? And Jehoiachin surrenders, said, oh, I'm just sorry, just joking. Well, they kill lots of people. They take more people captive, take more gold, and they take them back to Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar says, don't do this again. Sure enough, guess what happens? 587, they've done this again. They said, you know what? He's so far away. We, we don't need to listen to him. I think his kingdom's weakening. Nebuchadnezzar gets on his, his horse or his chariot. All of his army guys, they go back and they say, we're not doing this again. I hate coming to Jerusalem in the summertime. I'm just not doing this again. And they bust through the wall and they shatter the wall and they take the temple of God and they burn it down and they level it and they take the main buildings in, in Jerusalem and they destroy them completely. Wholesale massacre. And then they take some of the best that's left, if there's any, back to Babylon. This is, this is what's going on. Second Chronicles kind of gives us a little bit more concise picture. It says, the Lord, this is 36 of Second Chronicles, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them, that them is the Jewish people, through his messengers, it's the prophets, again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. It's his temple was there in Jerusalem. But they mocked God's messengers and despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Next, next. And he carried them to Babylon, all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small. That's like the, uh, the table of showbread and the candelabra and the, all of the things that were in the temple. Remember, the temple's going to be gone and now. He takes them all. Uh, they, were, they set fire to God's temple and they broke down the wall of Jerusalem and they burned all the palaces and they destroyed everything of value there. He carried them into exile to Babylon. The remnant who escaped from the sword, anybody he didn't kill who was any value in his eyes, he took them until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Now we got a little mappy thing. Right? We got the mappy thing. And see, over here is Babylon. Now, Problem is, you'd think, well, Israel's right over here. It's just a pretty straight shot. But there's a big desert right through here. If you try to just make a straight shot, you're not going to make it. Alexander uh, the Great tried that with his army. They didn't get through. Uh, that's not the way. So you've got to go all the way around. So it's about a 900-mile journey. And it's a 900-mile walk if you're in exile. They didn't get you in, a, in an air-conditioned bus to get you there. And if along the way you, you, you weren't feeling good, if you couldn't make it, that's okay. They just killed you. It was easy enough, and they just went on. They weren't going to slow down. So when you see here Daniel, where he's at, he's in a place where his family was either murdered or they're in the salt mines. He's watched wholesale massacre of his people. He's seen uh, some of the most horrific crime, uh, crimes of wars that you can imagine. He's seen them. Uh, he's uh, uh, been transported into a whole new land. He used to live down the block from the temple. The temple is now gone. The holy city, Jerusalem, is now shattered. Um, and you, you need to know that this was not viewed by these guys as Babylon versus Israel. This was viewed as the gods of Babylon versus the god of Israel. That's how it was, it was seen. And so the Babylonian pantheon, Marduk and Ishtar and uh, Bel and Nebo was coming against Yahweh. And when the the Babylonians clobbered the temple, 
The ancient Near East people, when they saw a temple, they, the temple was kind of like a, an exit ramp because all the gods kind of lived up in the heavens. But how they would come down to earth is they would come down through their temple. Well, when the temple was gone, now Israel didn't think this, but the rest of the Near East, when the temple was gone, the Babylonians had cut God off from the people. He's done. Yahweh's finished. He's over. It's a new era, boys. That is done. That is finished. And it obviously proved Babylonian superiority. They just miss something Daniel knew. In verse 2, where it says, The Lord gave Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand. Or in the Second Chronicles passage, where God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. Babylonians didn't see it that way. So this is... He goes on, verse 3, the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch. Ashpenaz was to what's going on here, what Dumbledore is to Hogwarts. Okay, Ashpenaz is a, is, a, is a main guy. He's in charge of the training of these people. Uh, his chief eunuch to bring in some people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Now, these guys just were enrolled into a three-year discipleship training program. Okay, they, they just were into a, getting an MDiv from Babylon University. But in the things of the Babylonians, this is what's going on to these folk. They, are, uh, they had to learn the language, which was Aramaic, which Daniel is actually going to write some of his text in Aramaic. When they finally get to go back to the Holy Land, guess what language they're all speaking? Aramaic. When Jesus comes on the scene, guess which language? They're all, Jesus spoke Aramaic. It's what, that's where it came from. He had, this, he had to be trained in the, the literature of the, of the uh, Babylonians. Now, this was not like reading you know, Walt Whitman or Flannery O'Connor or something. This is um, Akkadian and Sumerian cuneiform. It's like Egyptian hieroglyphics. Very, 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 very difficult. Trained in that. This was reading um, how the world started from their perspective, their methodologies, their met uh, mythologies. This was their uh, values and their priorities and their philosophy and their worldview. This is how you live life in Babylon for three years. These guys are getting dumped into a Babylonian worldview stuff. It's just, they want them to think like a Babylonian. Now, certainly, uh, these guys are going to have Jewish blood in them. Can't fix that. But they can go after their mind and heart. They want their, their mind and heart to beat Babylonian, to be thinking Babylonian values and priorities. And, and, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 6. If I can find it. Uh, and among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Um, good Jewish names. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Mishael means who is like God? Who is like our God? And Azariah means God is my help. And these guys are standing before Ashpenaz who's looking at him going, huh, really guys? Really? I mean, God is gracious. You look where you're at. Will you look where you're at? He's really gracious. God is your help. Well, he's really helped this time, hasn't he? You know what? No, no, guys, guys. 
that was a bygone era. You're not there anymore. I'm going to change your names. Daniel's not Daniel anymore. It's Belshazzar, which is Bel is my commander. Bel's one of the Babylonian pantheon gods. And, and we're, we're not going to call you Hananiah anymore. We're going to call you Shadrach, which means I am under the command uh, of Aku. Aku is one of the Babylonian gods. And Mishael, who is like God? No, no, no. Meshach, who is like Aku. That's what your name will be from this point on. And, and Ezariah, no, no. Abednego is, is the servant of Nebo. And so, for the rest of these guys' lives, when any time anyone called their name, it would engender ideas of, of Babylonian gods and the Babylonian god's supremacy and Babylonian god power. They are trying to change these guys from, in, in every way possible. They're going to change their, their names, their, their, their understanding. Most probably what they did is, well, we don't know this for a fact, but it was normal fare. They would have been made eunuchs. They would have been castrated. These probably 14, 15-year-old boys. Uh, they had seen, again, their, their families decimated. You can imagine that they're probably wondering about God's grace and God's help as well as they're there thinking, what in the world is going on? What is, is with this? Now, here's, the, here's why this is an Americanized book. Because you and I live in Babylon. We live in Babylon. You know, it's, it's easy to worship God when you just live down the road from the temple and all the rules and everything else is, is, is God-oriented. It's, it's one thing. But it's another thing when you're living in, in Babylon, especially when bad things are happening. Rough last couple of weeks for me. Um, I came across one friend, good friend. I've, I've known her for, for many years. And she doesn't, not here. Uh, but her daughter, I knew her daughter when she was younger. Her daughter now is an adult and has been making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Has three, three kids from three different guys in trouble with the law. She's being chased by, by creditors and the law right now. My, my friend and her husband had to go and rescue one of their grandchildren who was being abused in that situation. And now they're 60 years old finding our new job is to raise a baby for the next 18 years. That's what our job is. And their hearts are broken, thinking, what went wrong? We raised this girl in the church. I had uh, good friends. I went to, to a conference. I got there, and uh, uh, I prayed for this. Um, on the way over, I prayed for, uh, going through my prayer journal, prayed for a missionary couple I know. Uh, they're, they're off serving overseas. But when I got there, the wife was there. And I said, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be overseas. And she came and she just gave me a hug and just started bawling. I've got a friend that, a couple of, a pastor, found out his wife is having an affair with some guy at work. Uh, these are close people. On top of that, there were a lot of people at my conference pastors that I know tangentially who, several of them, in clinical depression because of what's going on at their church right now. I'll tell you, it is difficult, isn't it, to honor and worship and serve God when everything's going south. Uh, when you're in Babylon. You know, I used to, uh, did about 20 years in youth ministry. One of my, you know, Tony Campola used to say, if he did youth ministry, he'd have retreats all the time. That's all he'd do, a retreat every six weeks or something. Well, I did a lot of retreats. I did about 40 last I counted, and uh, over 40. 
in our retreats, we had a blast. We'd have a big one in the fall. There was kind of an outreach thing. And then and we'd have a smaller one, more discipleship in the spring. But, but between the, the worship, the music stuff, between the special speaker that came in, we would have games that would match what we were trying to accomplish quite often. We would have the skits would match what we were trying to do as well. Each of the kids would go for a walk with one of our leaders where they would try to get into their soul. Uh, the communion that we had was just powerful. The, the, uh, the bonfire at the end of the, the weekend was just powerful. Lots and lots of decisions for Christ and to grow and to commit and to relationships put back together. That was, that's easy to do when you're, when you're at a retreat. The problem is you've got to come back home, right? And the kids go back to their home where maybe mom and dad are fighting or there's alcoholism or bullying stuff happens at school or people are, are mocking you or the, your friends have all kinds of temptations waiting for you. Found that when you could control the environment, you could see a lot more growth. When, when you're in Israel, perhaps it's one thing, but when you're living in Babylon, the whole book of Daniel, one of its key themes is this. How do you live godly in a godless land? How do you live pure in a pagan place when everything is coming? When, when, you need to know, you're right. We are, we are in Babylon. Indoctrination process is going on, right? We don't have Ashpenaz trying to indoctrinate us. We've got Oprah and Dr. Phil and musicians and football celebrities and movie stars, of course, and People Magazine and Seventeen and romance novels and uh, newscasters and marketers and politicians. We are listening to, we are hearing. I mean, the other day, I'm telling you, I'm doing so well. Life is going great. I'm doing, things are going good. I go to my mailbox. I'm just a great time with the Lord. Things are looking good. I pull up my mail, and there is a Victoria's Secret magazine. Big old cover, Victoria's Secret. I'm going, who orders this stuff? I didn't want this. I, now I've got this major battle I've got to wrestle with. I didn't ask for this. You're watching television. You're watching the game, something that's normal. And all of a sudden, there's a commercial. that Maybe it's not a trashy commercial, but the message that they're telling you is clearly God is, is not around. That's a bygone era. That's an old way. Here's the new way. And you're getting it. And you're getting it from anybody on the Internet. And you're getting it every time you turn around and you send your kid to school and you're trying to do a good job and but some kids mock their faith or maybe even a professor might mock their faith and you're going I'm trying hard here how do you stay godly in Babylon that's what Daniel wants to answer for you and I and it's not by running away from the influences because Daniel wasn't able to do that and yet he still stayed very very strong so let's let's look right into this beginning in verse 8 Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, this is actually going to be the, the big idea of the whole, the whole book, what, what's going on right here. If you're going to stay pure in a pagan place, you need to understand. You know, a couple things you need to know. First thing you need to know is the cost of compromise. You know, what's, what's going on here? Dan, Dan it's, it's just a plate of food, buddy. If there's something on there that's not good, just kind of over, miss, miss that part. That's okay. Just a plate of food. Don't rock the boat. Don't you know that Neb is a very fiery guy here and he blows up and all kind, towns are murdered. Just, just don't get him upset. And all things considered, we're doing is better than anybody else. You want to be back in the salt mines? Just, just, just don't jeopardize us. Will you just don't rock the boat? Fly under the radar, buddy. That's, that's what you need to do. But Dan resolves that he would not defile himself with the king's food. What is, what is the issue with the king's food? Does Daniel just want to be a vegetarian? And again, I'm not opposed to vegetarians. That's wonderful. Some of my best friends are vegetarians. Really. Um, 
But they weren't thinking health here. That was not going through, that was not part of their, their, their mind at this point. They didn't understand that. Um, some have said, well, it's, it's the kosher laws. And yes, you know, Leviticus uh, 11 and uh, Deuteronomy 24, I think, kosher laws. They, they, they basically, the kosher laws said, there are certain foods you can eat if you're Jewish. There are certain foods we don't want you to eat because, God says, I don't want you to eat because they will make you ceremonially unclean. And what that means is this. God was saying, I want my people to be have me on their mind all the time so much that even when they're eating they realize that they're a separate people and some foods would defile you they would make you unclean which meant you couldn't go to the temple you couldn't be in relationship with God for multiple days so that's probably some of what's working here but not completely because it says that he wouldn't drink the wine because that would cause him to be unclean. Well, there's nothing in the kosher laws that say that the wine would be bad or the wine would be wrong. There's no reason why he can't drink the wine, but he thinks that that would defile him as well. Good possibility that especially the meat and the drink is, is dedicated, was dedicated to the Babylonian gods. Now, now again, you're thinking, oh, so, so, so what? Think about our communion for a second, when we have communion. It's a memorial service. We come, we remember that Christ died for us. And as we stop and we partake, we're being reminded that, you know what? I have absolutely nothing to offer. The only reason I'm here is because of Christ. The only thing that I've got of me that's any good, any righteousness I have is the righteousness that Christ had imputed to me, His. The only reason that there is life, that I can know God, is through Christ. It's The communion service is a worship time. And what they're saying here to Daniel is, is Daniel, not only do we want you to carry your God's names and learn all about them, we want you to worship Him in your heart. And Daniel says, you know what, I can, you can call me whatever you want to call me. That's, right. And you want me to learn your stuff, I'll learn your stuff. That's, and I'll learn it well, and he did. But when you ask me to worship, that's, I'm resolving that I wouldn't defile myself. That defile, desecrate, make you unworthy. Daniel says, you know, my relationship with God is so important to me that nothing is worth taking that away. Not even my own physical life. Not nothing. And so I, I resolve. To resolve means, we would say, uh, a word we would use is, is conviction. Resolve means to make a decision ahead of time. I am not going to defile myself. Say, well, it's just a little plate of food. Now, this is big for us because little sins, we think, oh, it's just it's just little thing. It's not a big deal. Those who are going to survive in Babylon recognize that it's a much bigger deal. They see it through God's eyes. This is defiling. That means it destroys me. It, 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 it can uh, dull my hearing to spiritual things. It can blind my eyes to spiritual things. It can cloud my thinking to spiritual things. It can, it can help me quit having a taste for the things of God and to have a taste more and more for the things of the world. Defilement destroys you. And Daniel says, I'm not. There is nothing in this life. Looks like a little thing to some people. It's, it's, it's not. I'm, I, I'm resolving. I will not be defiled. Let me ask you, is there something in your life that maybe you're 
tempted to compromise on. Maybe you've been compromising on just a little bit, just a little bit. Boss says, move that date back two days because you know what, we, we can't get in trouble or we've got to make the deadline or whatever else, so, so just change that. Uh, what, 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 what might it be where it would be just a little compromise, just a, just a little? Those who survive recognize there's no little just plate of food. It defiles. In resolution, I am not going to be defiled. That little thought that just comes into my mind that nobody knows about, that he just is. I resolve that I will not be defiled. Nothing. Is gonna, I'm not going to have anything in my life that displeases my God. If he doesn't bless me, it's not going to be because of my sin. It's not going to be there. It's not going to be there. So we need to have convictions. Be people of conviction. Not people of preference. People of conviction. But how we live those out, really, really important. Really, really, really important. Look, look at Daniel, verse 9. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I, and Daniel just said, can I not do this? He says, well, I fear, my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see you in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? He's thinking, if you just eat vegetables and water, man, you're going to look pale and you're going to look uh, emaciated and, and the king's going to you know, hurt me. He says, so you would endanger my head with the king. But then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Notice he doesn't call them by their Babylonian names. Test your servants for ten days. Lest us be given, uh, given vegetables and, and to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter than the youths who ate the king's food. Notice how he doesn't walk in to this chief eunuch guy. He doesn't say, I am not going to eat this stupid pagan food, you stinking heathen. I'm, I'm going to be true to my God, and you don't like it, oh, well, deal with it. I was street preaching in Chicago. Uh, we were on Rush Street. Uh, Rush Street in Chicago is the sophisticated sin area. It is just big night time clubs and lots of, lots of money. And just, we, were, we were street preaching one Saturday night. I remember this, uh, a couple policemen came up to myself and my team, and they said, you need to move. You can go two, two, two blocks that way, two blocks that way, two blocks that way, two blocks that way, we don't care, but you just need to move. And so I asked them, I said, well, how come what we're doing is legal two blocks that way, two blocks that way, two blocks that way, but it's illegal right here? And one of the officers said, because the owner of this bar says it is, so move or we will arrest you. Well, two blocks that way was still busy. I said, so I can go to two blocks, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. So we went, it's fine. Later on that night, I get a call. A couple of our guys, I was leading this thing at that point. So a couple of our guys were in jail because they were standing in front of the same bar. It was a very busy place. And uh, the officers came and approached them to leave. And they decided to take on the officers. One of them pulled out the Constitution. I've got a right to be here. And they just went on and on and on and on. So they end up in jail. So I go and get them out of jail. And they're singing like Paul and Silas or something. They're just thinking that they are convinced that they are in prison because of their, their faith and the gospel. And they are there. And I'm trying to tell them, no, 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 guys. You are there because you're idiots, not because you're godly. <laughs> Uh, because if they said don't preach the gospel at all, that's one thing. Or if they just wanted to send you someplace where there was no people, eh, okay. 
But you had all kinds of other opportunities. You should have respected the officer. You could have, it, would have been, it would have been fine. Sometimes we think we're standing for our convictions. And so we approach it with an insensitivity and a disrespect and a lack of kindness and a lack of gentleness. And stuff comes on us and we are so good because we are standing for our convictions. You've got, everybody who's a person of conviction will, will have their date with the lion's den. You just will. Every, every, if you're a person of conviction, you will end up in the lion's den sooner or later. You will. You don't want to end up there sooner. And you don't want to end up in there because of, simply because of a, a lack of fruit of the Spirit. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? How many times have you seen a, a militant, angry, mean, uh, hostile Christians that are just a major turn-off. If we're in the den because of our, our, our convictions, that's one thing. If we're in there because of lack of kindness, let me just, just, just this is kind of how I grew up a little bit. But if, in fact, you've got a kind of a combative spirit anyway, you want to take people on and you, you just have to know, nah, i got a fruit of the spirit has to be part of my, my deal here. Notice that Daniel found favor. With this guy. What? Joseph is in prison, remember? And the warden finds favor with Joseph. Who are the people that you find favor with, that you just think are wonderful people? Aren't those people who respect you, who are kind people, who are humble and and, and, and sincere people? Uh, Not pomposity, arrogance on parade. That's, 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 That's not the deal. So how you... Also understanding. You've got to understand that um, uh, the cost of compromise, that, that we have to, to resolve that we won't be defiled. But then secondly, you need to understand that, that the tests are going to come. As long as you're in Babylon, they're going to keep coming. You'd think that Daniel would have made a name for himself. But you know what? All the way to the end, life-threatening tests are coming at him. You don't expect Babylon to like your faith. Maybe because of some of our past history in our country. We, we, the Babylon should like our faith. And, and they should respect it. And they should be nice to it. And they should, they should embrace it. No, they're not going to. They're, 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 Jesus said, if they, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's what First John says, if they hated Christ, they're going to hate you. And the word for hate there is not just you know, roll their eyes. It's roll up their sleeves and attack and tear you limb from limb kind of word. And the scriptures letting us know it's going to if you're following him in Babylon, tests are going to be there. They're just going to. That's part of the day. It's part of the day. It's where things are. That's why Peter says in First Peter four, he says he says Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So this is not strange. You're thinking, oh, what happened? This is, this is not strange. But the two things you need to know when the tests are coming. First thing you need to know is the tests that come are coming to prepare you. We think sometimes when we're going through it, you know, God's abandoned me. Uh, God hasn't abandoned you. God is preparing you. That's another theme going through, through Daniel. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example. I'm the spoiler alert, okay? Chapter 2, next week, uh, King has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody can interpret this dream. It's kind of a wild story. You've got to read it this week or come next week. Um, but Daniel prays, and then God gives him the interpretation. Let me ask you. Do you think God would have given Daniel the interpretation in chapter 2 
if he did not resolve not to defile himself in chapter 1? Because Daniel has resolved not to defile himself, he walked much closer to God. He's able to hear God's voice. He's growing in strength to God. He's able to hear that, that silent nudge of the Holy Spirit that his ears would be dull to if, if he had compromised. And because of that, he's able. These other tests that are going to be coming at Daniel, God's just preparing him, getting him ready for those that are coming. You've got to know that. Second thing is the tests come. You've got to know this. Babylon is not our home, right? We are. This is not the spiritual Zion that we're living in. This culture, this government, this, I'm not saying we just accept everything that comes at us as citizens. We need to do what we can do legally and appropriately after that's said and done, recognizing that this is not my home. My, my home is in, in heaven. The governments of this land will war. The people of this land, the culture of this land, the spirit of this land will war against me as they did my, my Jesus. That's the way it's, it's going to be. Um, Isaac Watts, let me see if I can get this, did a hymn years ago. What a, it's a cool, cool song. Am I a soldier of the cross? And he says, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? And the answer there is no. Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. The, the, the tests are going to come. They're just how they are. But the resolution not to defile myself when they come is, is um, it's the key to survival. And look, look at the fruit of conviction. Verse 17. It says, as for these four use, oh, by the way, I'm sorry, let me back up to 16 just so I can say it. So the steward took away the food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. He did this for all the guys. Probably some of the other younger guys were upset at Daniel and his friends, but oh well. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. This is three years later. And the king spoke with them. The king himself, Nebuchadnezzar, is going to administer the exam. See how they're doing. See how they did. The king, the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. The, the fruit. It, may not be what you would want as far as lots of riches and all those kind of things, though Daniel would end up with his share. But first thing is um, he had gifts of spiritual discernment. Now, real, 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 real important. Our piety, okay, our ability to make resolutions that we're not going to defile ourselves and keep that, our piety and spiritual discernment are inseparable. In other words, you want to be spiritually mature? You want to understand the Word of God? You want to know the things of God? It's directly tied to your walk with Him. You cannot be compromising on a regular basis 
small little things, things that you're sure he would understand, on and on. You cannot be compromising on a, little, on, a, on a regular basis and be spiritually discerning, be spiritually mature. It can't happen. But, but if, and this is a wild thing, this is a promise throughout Scripture, if you resolve in your heart not to defile yourself and you live that life, the spiritual discernment will come. When that is tested and that comes up and you, you choose to know, you, he will pour that spiritual discernment and understanding and closeness to him there. You cannot not have it. It, it will be part of the picture. It will. He just doesn't pour that on folk who haven't been tested and found glorified. Another f- fruit. When you decide to resolve in your heart, you're not going to defile yourself, you're being a person of conviction, one of the fruits is you influence those around you. You know, the inference here is that Mishael and, and Hananiah and Azariah, uh, that this idea not to eat the king's food was not their idea, it was Daniel's. And Daniel was the first to step forward here and say, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not going to do this. I care too much about my relationship with God. Well, those guys looking on said... Yeah, we're not going to either. That's right. That's right. We're going. We're following. That's right. We're doing that too. If in fact that resolution to not defile yourself gets tested, and it will sooner or later, and you choose what's right, you got to know people are watching. You don't have to tell anybody. People are watching, and they'll know you will give courage or conviction to to people. Holy Spirit will do its work. Uh, because of your choosing to, to follow. Also, we, not only do we influence the people around us, though, we, we, we influence those in Babylon. We'll get into more of this book where the people in Babylon are influenced, but let me, let me fast forward 500 years. Matthew chapter 2. Jesus is just born. Scripture says that magi from the east came. Wise men came. People from perhaps the same guild of Daniel's 500 years earlier. People from the same area where he was at came. And why, why, why did, I always wondered, how did they know? How did they know? The, old, the, the Jewish people in town didn't even know. How did these guys know? And they came looking for a king of the Jews. And, and when they came to him, they knew he was the king of the Jews. That's what they said, king of the Jews. But they, pagan guys, bowed down and worshipped Jesus. In other words, they were saying, this anointed one, this Messiah, it's not just for the Jews. He's for us. Daniel's influence to these magi. Can you imagine what these magi were were talking about when they got back home? No, 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 he's real. We we worshipped him, he's real. Daniel's influence is so huge. You think, Daniel probably wondered when he was... In Babylon and everything was going south. Why do you have me here, God? God, I'm sure, didn't tell him all the reasoning, but it was worldwide. It included much more than Daniel's life. It was the, the, the winning of nations to worship Jesus. And then verse 21, another final fruit. It says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's 539, which would have meant that Daniel was in Babylon for at least 65 years. To our knowledge, he never got out of Babylon. He died in, in Babylon. 65 years. But here's what you need to know. Daniel lived in Babylon 65 years. And try as they might to assimilate him into the process, into the, into the process of the Babylonians. Never got there. Verse 11. I don't have this on screen. You just have to look at it. 
that, by the way, Daniel's writing all of this. End of his life. These are his memoirs. Verse 11, it says, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel. Notice the names. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Then down in verse 19. Daniel's still writing, just narrating. The king spoke with them, and among all of them was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Notice he doesn't call them Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Last 65 years, people are calling them by those names. Everyone's calling them by those names. It's probably illegal not to call them by those names. But Daniel knows who they really are. Daniel knows who he really is. Call me all the names you want. Tell me my God doesn't exist and call me whatever you want, whatever label you want to give me. I know who I am. And I know who my God is. Didn't lose that in 65 years of intense Babylonian indoctrination. As you and I, Live, live here. And we're going to live in Babylon, as it were, until we, we go home to be with the Lord. If we're going to survive the indoctrination, uh, like Daniel did, we're going to know who we are. We're going we're to know who our God is, regardless of what else they say. It's going to start with a resolution not to defile yourself to a recognition that the tests are going to come. It's just part of life. So are you in the middle of one right now? Are you in a test? Let me challenge you, please, and by the words of Daniel, resolve that you will not defile yourself in this thing. Maybe I don't even know the answer to this. I don't even know where it's going or how how it's going to end. But I do know this. As much as I can, I am not going to dishonor my God in it. That's not not a part of it. And Whatever I have to lose, I lose. But I'm not going to dishonor my God. 